Or read along with me if you would, please. Three times a year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall, you, shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be kept until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of the words which I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And then from there we're going to get into Mr. Glowy Face, the next one I return. And if you don't know what I mean by that, read ahead. It's right there, Mr. Glowy Face. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord, quiet our hearts, commandeer our focus now. Be ever, ever, ever present in this room. I pray, Lord, you would immerse me in your spirit that I would disappear and that you would appear. And then, Lord, you would today fill me to overflowing, Lord, that through me, just a silly human vessel like the rest of us, Lord, that you would douse us in your love that we would be encouraged, that we would be blessed, that we would be challenged, that we would be exhorted, that we would be equipped. Lord, you've promised that as the snow falls down from heaven and does not rise up again without watering the ground it lands on, causing the ground to bud and to flourish, bringing seed to the sower and bread to the one who eats, so is your word. It never returns to you empty. And then you promise that's just like your word. Even as the rain fortifies the ground, causing it to bring forth harvest for the people to partake and enjoy and so is your word it rained down your word upon us today that you would cause to bring forth from each of us a harvest lord and in that lord you promise it never returns empty this is never for naught so lord take this time redeem every minute of it may we have so much fun in your scripture now i pray that we would be captivated by what you have to tell us today and lord that you would speak to every one of us right at our heart of hearts and our minds and on our ears that we would hear and we would know and we would respond accordingly lord if there be any who have yet to say yes to the gift of jesus christ let today be the day that they would say yes and they would say on this day i gave my life to jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, I pray now you would have your way with each of us, Lord. Please cause your scripture to burst open and erupt full of color and give us deep understanding now on what you intend as we commit this time to you and ourselves. May we worship you with our attention. May we worship you with our retention as we hold this word in our hearts. And may we hold this with our intention to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I would say today, and you're probably blah de blah de blah, you kind of know it by now, but just for those of you who may have gone into a coma at this point in every message, um, don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority, always have the final say. Now, you're probably aware of the fact that this has been, wow, it's so radically different. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're kind of there, actually. Uh, it has been a slow walk through this chapter for good purpose. This chapter is just so thick, full of rich and juicy morsels. 
It's like a good Brazilian barbecue where they just keep bringing the food to you, but you want to say, slow down, because I want to chew this and taste this instead of just walk out of there needing uh, you know, a wheelchair. Anyways, and please so follow me on this from the beginning of just this chapter to get context, because after this chapter, this is a very pivotal chapter in the book of Exodus, because from this point now beyond, he will start moving into in, sort of inundating and getting practical about the things God had said before this. Now, understand for 400 years, we've been slaves. All we knew was slaves. All our dad knew was slaves. All of our grandpas knew were slaves. So we knew we were been in Egypt for 430 years. 30 years of that appear to be favorable. And then rises a Pharaoh who was not Sephardic, who didn't know Joseph, refused to acknowledge him for who he was. And then with that then becomes the intimidation and everything just flips upside down. It's all we've known. And then somewhere in all of that, the, the Pharaoh to be and understand Pharaohs were not elected. They were chosen by the Pharaoh's daughter. And so understand that for Moses to be, in essence, adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter, you kind of think he's next in line. So when this young Hebrew that leaves this, this prospect of becoming the next ruler of the, in the time, the most powerful kingdom in all of the known conquered world, and he disappears for 40 years, you think, what in the world just happened up in the temple? What happened up in headquarters? And with that then, he disappears for 40 years, then shows up. And with that, now he shows up finding his brother, Aaron, which means light bearer, and his sister, Mizra, by the way, for the way, and just follow me on this, Mariam, and Mariam means bitter. And he finds these two and says to, and gathers the Hebrews together. We're still slaves. That's all we know is that we're slaves. We know what it's, we know what it's like to be in bondage. We know how to say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And then with that, he comes in and he goes, it's time to leave. I'm going to, God, God sent me here and we're going to take this thing down and we're leaving. But God's not going to do it like this. Your removal as the beginning of your deliverance is not going to be instant. And I'll tell you why. Because right now, so much of you has bought into the fact that all you'll ever be is a slave that you're going to need to see that everything you've been in bondage to is about to be taken down. So God systematically takes down everything that is worshipped in the old world of Egypt so that when we leave, we would think it is absolutely ridiculous to go back to any of that. But we do anyways. So plague after plague after plague, God takes down Apis, he takes down Isis, he takes down Nebu, he takes down Neftet and Aftan, and he takes down all of these different gods that are worshipped in Egypt. So the only person left that they worshipped that was still standing was Pharaoh. And then the final blow was given. Not only to Pharaoh, but to Pharaoh's son. So that we knew that even Pharaoh didn't have the power to rescue his own child. But that required then an act of faith where we had to take a lamb and it became the lamb and ultimately became your lamb as it was slaughtered and it became inside you. It was taken and put inside of you and we left. And all we knew 
from there to about chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, all we knew is ourselves as was ex-slaves. That's all we knew. Until chapter 20, when God gives us the law, all we knew is that we were ex-slaves. And by the way, we can do that as Christians. We develop our identity by our tombstones. Well, who are you? I'm an ex-alcoholic. I'm an ex-rapist. I'm an ex-drug dealer. I'm an ex-whatever. And people go, yeah, but what are you? Because that's what were you, maybe X in this sense, but you're still building your identity on who you were. I, oddly enough, that's what the world teaches us. But Paul tells us he f- leaves what is behind and presses forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I've learned this. You can't change your past. You can cover it in blood. In that sense, it's changed, but you can't change the incidences that have happened. And the enemy loves to work with that. He loves to bring you back to your past because if he can't, he knows you can't change the events. And he'll say, oh, you always will be suicidal, a basket case, a floozy, a drug addict, an arm robber, a drug dealer, a prostitute, whatever it is. And he'll throw those things out at you. And that's because you're still looking back in the rearview mirror. So he has no problem flashing things there that, that live there or died there. But in chapter 20, God says, now let's start building your new identity. And it's going to come with a series of, of laws because those laws build a brand new society. And you're not going to be known as X. What you're going to be known as is mine. That's what you're going to be known as. Mine. The problem is when God gives the Ten Commandments, and I challenge you, don't just believe me, read it. It's Exodus 20. The people hear God dictate those commandments. And God's like, well, I can wipe them out and start over with you, Moses. And Moses demonstrates the heart of God and the necessity of a mediator that says, no, look, please don't do that. The world knows you've taken them out now. And the world needs to see that you can bring them in. Now, with that, we have this area where God then starts to say, now that we've gotten and built a society, and with a society, there has to be a structure and a law system with it. Now that you guys are an entirely different world, an entirely different society than the world you came from, let's get to business. And the very first thing God says then in chapter 25, then he says, now build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And don't forget the fact that really God has not dwelt among his people since Eden. And as soon as he pulls them out of bondage, that's the first thing. Look, God did not save you so you could go to heaven. God saved you to be with you. Heaven's just the product of it. I mean, you get to move in soon. That's the beauty of it. But if you really think Jesus saved you so that you could go to heaven, then you'd probably think that what's the rest of my life for? I might as well go out clubbing because what's the difference? And then I'll probably speed it up till I get there. But truth be told, Jesus died to be with me. And I tell you what, that's what makes me so irritatingly joyful all the time. It does. Because my life is governed by the one who lives in me and everything has been transformed. Now, look, at if you want to get suckered into the world and be gutted every time, you know, that the bus is late. Well, then, you know, if that's going to be the case, you're going to be driven just like uh, everybody else, right. especially in a day like this. And have you noticed, I think Satan runs the TFL because it seems long, like right? all the bus lines yeah. and train lines yes, shut down on Sundays. Okay. How did that happen? <laughs> all right. I'm not bitter. Anyway, <laughs> but I'm still joyful. Now, follow me. By the time we get to chapter 34... 
Moses has come down the mountain. He's seen them breaking the first commandment. He breaks the law, the commandments that are in his hands. And then after that goes back on up. And the law, by the way, is broken there at the foot of the mountain, right where the foot of the mountain is, is the altar. So there's the place where we're going to go and try to meet with God again, because we're not going to rise up to meet with him. God's going to have to come down to get to us. So in chapter 34, God says, now, Moses, you're going to come back up again. And if you remember, come back up. But let's deal with the fact that you, the, of the broken law, the laws that you've broken. Let's deal with the fact that you need to come up and present yourself to me and come with a clean slate and come alone. And then with that, God shows his glory. And as he shows his glory, by the way, everything is in relationship. Everything is in relationship to relationship. I mean, when God glorifies himself, he doesn't just say, I'm massive and I'm awesome and I'm big and I'm loud. God could do all of those things if he wants to. But everything he says that he says, this is what makes me awesome in a simple sense. Listen, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. Every bit of what makes God so awesome is re- revolves around his relationship with his creation. And wouldn't that be great if that was what made us awesome? Instead of, you know what makes me awesome? I can do, I can be, I, you know, really, it's amazing because in our culture, let's think about it. What makes us, what, what in essence sort of makes somebody awesome is always about them individually, not in regards to relationships. And then we get to the church and that cannot be. We should not say that. Now, please hear me. And we're, we're, now we're getting much closer to our text. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going up to Scotland to Motherwell and to meet him and to spend some time actually with an old friend who has a real broken heart for his country, he's Scottish. And while there, he brought me into a covenanter's church, a very fascinating thing. And the idea of a covenanter's church was that there was a time when the king of Scotland wanted to assume sovereignty over the churches. But he was a heathen, but he still wanted the power over it. There were some churches, of course, who submitted simply because he was king. But there were other churches that was like, no way are we going to let that pagan rule our churches. So they became outlaws, bandits, bandito churches. Imagine. And so it was interesting because the churches had were smaller than this. They were about half the size of this room, but they had seven doors. And the idea of it was is that if the army came from the king of Scotland, they could flee in every direction. People froze to death. Listen to this. People froze to death in fields to hear the word of God taught because they were so hungry to hear it without some pagan telling you how it had to be done. Could you imagine having that kind of dedication? There was always, by the way, a door right behind the pulpit, which I thought was interesting. So, the, you know, and I think there are some pastors I know they'd love to have that bad sermon. They just run out. But... Uh, but please, please hear me that in this particular church, and it was about a thousand years old, they had a registry on the side of the wall. It was a big plaque. And on that plaque, it had the name of all the pastors since the 1100s. And, you know, back then, some of the names were even funny. And it's like Archibald the something. You always kind of give yourself some or someone gave you a title. You know, Archibald the shiny or the whatever the, you know, the four-toothed or whatever the case. And, and then interesting. So there were two rows, though. There was that particular row. And then there was a row next to it. I mean, after the, the numbers. Uh, and there was a row next to it. And it said something about each of them. And there was this one particular place in the middle where everything changed. Because... Somebody was caught performing simony. And what that means is they were charging 
them for things that they should never have charged them for. There was things that should just be for free as a, as a minister of Christ. And so he kind of got, got fired is what happened. He, he got his P45. And, uh, and off he went. You know, so the next guy came in. But what was really strange is what happened after that. Now, now listen, before that, I was, this is what drew me in. It said, wept much in prayer grieved over the, the state of his country. I mean, everything was, I mean, these things that I would pray, let it be so for me. And then this guy gets nailed for simony. And then everything underneath that received his doctrine certificate at age 12. You know, uh, straight, you know, it's like super honors student, you know, was, with an IQ of blotty, blotty, blotty. And it was so fascinating that before that point, everything was about character and relationship to the church. And then after that, it all became about your qualifications. And I think, well, that's really a very, it's, I think it's indicting in the state of the church today. Listen, don't ever, 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 ever expect this fellowship to ever hire somebody you've never met, or at least that I haven't. We don't take resumes or CVs. And the reason is, no matter how many qualifications a person can put on paper, they can't put their character on there. And the ministry of the church should be to preach the gospel, to teach the word of God, and then to reach the world by seeing you raised up. That's what gets me so excited about this week is to see guys from our fellowship raised up in those spots is to see those places. Now, there will be a pastor coming from South London, but we love him anyways and we trust his character. I know the guy. He's a good friend of mine. But please hear me. This should be part of it. Now, don't listen to it from the idea of being a spectator. You're not in the stands here. If you want to stick around here, I want to warn you, God is going to be sticking tacks on your pews. I won't be. But he will be with the purpose of intending for you to take what you were learning and to put it into practice so that you could discover what God's will is in your life. And I guarantee you part of that is to be used, not just to be viewed. So with that in mind, he goes into it. Moses then cries out, God, go with us. If we've found grace in your sight, please go with us because we're stiff-necked people. Pardon our sin. Take us as your inheritance. And God says, I'll tell you what. I'll make a covenant with you, and I'm going to do an awesome thing, which tells me God has a part of California in him because he says awesome. Now, it's there in the text. Don't just believe me. It's there in Exodus 34. I'm going to do an awesome thing. I'm going to make an awesome covenant with you. And for that, for Moses, I would have gone, awesome, God. And with that, he says, look, I'm going to drive out right from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, and anything else that's got a knight in it, parasites, whatever it is. I'm going to drive them all out. So reciprocate the covenant I'm making with you. If I'm going to make that covenant with you, this is what I'm going to do is drive these things out so you can take this land as your own. Make a covenant with me, would you please? Not with them. Because you're going to make a covenant with someone. And either you're going to make a covenant with me to be a world changer, or you're going to make a covenant with the world and you'll try to change me. The only problem is, I'm not going to change. Now, God's perfect. If God's perfect, any changes he make would be bad. Can we agree? You can't change perfect and make it better. So, let's go on this journey then, Moses. You really want to go? You want me to go with you? I will. But I want to warn you, there are snares, traps on this journey in the new place you're going. And those traps you need to be aware of. I don't want you destroying their altars. I want you breaking their sacred pillars. I want you cutting down those wooden images. And otherwise, if you do not do that, you'll become like them. But it's not just the negatives. Here's the positives. Remember the lamb. 
that was slain for you. Remember the firstborn that died. And, and remember that you've been redeemed. Remember to rest. And remember the harvests because I'm going to put you to work. And then we get into our text. Verse 23, as he concludes the area of these harvests and these feasts, he says, Three times a year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, for I will cast out the nations from before you, enlarge your borders, neither will any man cover your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times a year. Now notice here, by the way, now that God says, this is what I'd like you to do, I would like you to go into the world to change it. I've pulled you out, I've saved you, I've removed you from the bondage you were in, I've removed you from... From the hand of the enemy, I'm going to reinsert you into a new world. But as I insert you into the new world, I'm inserting you as an agent of change. So don't go there to be like them because I'm going there. I'm sending you in to represent me so that they could be affected in all the very best of ways. So don't go in there and just, I just want to make friends with the world because James and First John both tell us to be friends with the world is to be an enemy of God. How do you become friends with someone who hates the one you claim is your first love and still think it's okay? Now, please hear me in this. God then turns and says, let me show you what I want to do in your life. And he gives us three things. And then he'll say, let me tell you three things I'd like you to do in response to that. Notice how God always spoke first. He says, this is what I want to do. This is what I would like you to do. This is what I want to do. This is what I would like you to do. Now, please hear me. This is the difference between biblical faith and something that gets wacky within sort of what we might call the faith movement. The faith movement, ironically enough, isn't exactly faith. It's demanding. It's presumption. And here's the difference. From a faith perspective of a culture or from a system, the idea is if you have enough faith, you can move God's hand to do something. So the idea is, I'm going to pray, and if I pray enough, I'm going to get that Lamborghini. Red. Black leather interior. With not only a good stereo, but one with Bluetooth. Right? So I can speak, just talk to it. One way I could just put my iPod right on the top, my iPhone on the top. And when it rings... I could just go, hello, and Siri will do the rest. I want that, right? And, I'm just, and I can tell God. And there becomes a danger. And if I don't get it, you know why? I don't have enough faith. Funny, because I became the smartest one in the household and not God. Did you notice that? So somehow in it, I'm like, I'm so smart, I know what's best for me. A Lamborghini. God, give that to me. And you know what? If God were, and sometimes God actually grants us what we don't need to show us how stupid it is that we asked for so long. Have you noticed that? He says it when it says he gave them the desire of their heart, but then sent leanness to their soul. They're like, we need meat. Oh, we need meat. God says, you want meat? Have as much as you want. It says it came out their nostrils. Now, I don't know about you, but I love meat, but I don't like it enough to have it come through my nostrils. I don't, there's nothing about that. I think that would be great. <clears throat> Sorry, I got to blow a little turkey out of my, you know, that's just, that's awful. That's what happens when faith becomes an it. If I have enough faith, I could demand of God that I should be well all the time. Well, then how are you ever going to die? <laughs> and if God, you know, it's like, you know what? I just, I mean, it's like you really, you're robbing God of spending eternity with him because you're going to spend it here healthy. You've just robbed God of his lordship. Have you recognized that? I've demanded God that I should be wealthy. The problem is for most of us, wealthy is one of the most dangerous things that could happen to us. Because the moment we get wealthy, we stop crying out to God. What's funny is, if the most important thing to God is His relationship with us, if that's the most important thing, think about the times when you cry out to Him the most. 
Man, if, if the only time you really cry out to God is when you're sick, why would he ever want you well? Let's just be honest. If the only time you cry out to God is when you're poor, why would he want you wealthy? That's the most important. If Jesus died to be with you, can you imagine Jesus like, I died on the cross to be with you, but here, how? take all this stuff and don't spend time with me now. Really? Well, my kids are like, I want an iPhone. And I go, why? They said, so I could be alone in my... No, that's enough. I got enough. The alone part? No. It's, it gets no at that point. I don't want to give you anything that takes you away from me. Why would I want that? I didn't have you to not be with you. It isn't that I looked out at the lawn and I looked at the dishes and I thought to my wife, honey, if we had a few kids, they could get all this done. And we could... I mean, if you have kids, you know that's a crazy thought. We thought, yeah, this will make our life, this will be less work. Okay, we'll, we'll have a meeting later with just like kind of resolve that. No, please, please follow me though. God always, here's what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is God says, I want to give you this. If you trust me, you'll take it. Do you hear the difference? The difference is God says, I already have something. I'm smart enough to know exactly what to give you. By the way, what God may give you is a trial. One of those, by the way, that's a good thing to God because it chisels off parts of you that actually are really don't belong. I mean, you know what's interesting? For those of you who are married, you know this, although it's painful to talk about, so it's fun. For those of you who are single, watch closely. This is what I thought would happen because I was so brilliant. This is me. This is my wife, right? We meet. And then God's going to go, oh, they're so beautiful. We'll just do this. It'll be beautiful, romantic, and we'll become like, I'm blue, she's red, and it'll be a beautiful purple circle when we're done. Right? This is what actually does happen. You go like this, and you go like this, and then God goes, whack, 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 whack. And all this stuff on the outside gets chiseled off. That's really what happens. And you know why? Because all this stuff doesn't work well in a marriage. And it's like this. And the problem was a lot of this stuff was some of your best stuff when you were single. This was stuff that really got me somewhere when I was single. But it doesn't work well married. So now it isn't like this big, beautiful purple circle. What it is is it's like this little thing in between. And then this gets all chiseled off. And then God just circles the whole thing. But that's the part I don't see. What I see is the chiseling. I'm like, ah, hey, 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 I like that. That happens with the Lord. The only difference is the Lord doesn't have anything to chisel off on his side. Right? So I'm going like this and the Lord wants to be in my life. And he goes, okay, that part will work. That's your surrender. That's your will. I want that. And then it's like, well, what about all this? And God goes, well, hold on a second. And he starts standing. You're not here like, hey, hey, hey. Right? But that's God's grace. Now, part of growing in Christ is learning how to love the chisels. Isn't it true? I mean, when you first get married and I'm not, look at, please understand. In November, I will be happily married 24 years. So please understand, this is not like, I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm not eyeing a door. Please trust me in this. In the beginning, you get married with that. Like, I just love you because of the way you make me feel. That lasts for a month or two. And then after a while, it's like, because God doesn't want your wife to be the one thing that makes you feel good, to be honest, or your husband to be the one thing that makes you feel good. You should get your total value from the cross because he's the only one who knows you perfectly and still died for you anyways. And then everything else, by the way, everyone else is part of the chisels. You married a chisel. How awesome is that? It's like, I, I do. Okay. I do well. I do what? I do say, go ahead and chisel. And you said that to the Lord. And by the way, here's the beauty is God's not just chiseling you into something that's going to be like, oh, bless his heart. He tried. And you put it on your refrigerator for a little bit or something. We read, we're his poema, his masterpiece. 
I mean, of all the things that God spoke into existence with a couple words, like that, and it was done. If it were, and it was done. And then he looked and goes, Tov, good. That was it. But God's been working on you since the moment you said yes. Now, exactly how beautiful you think that's going to work out. So every chisel, every tink, if I really trust him, everything is going to work out to my good. And God says, I have something for you here. Faith doesn't say, well, I have something for me here, and I'm going to trust. You're going to give it to me. But rather, God's like, my hands are outstretched to give you something, and it's good. You entrust me, it's good. And you're like, you know what, Lord? All right, I'll take it. Whatever it is, I'll take it. Whatever it is, I'll take it. That's real faith. Do you see the difference? Now, I have to define that because, to be honest, God wants to offer us three things here. And you're going to go, yeah, I love that. I like it. I'll take those. But he goes, look, if that's the case, this is, what I, this is how I want you to live out that faith to receive those things. Does that make sense? Now, follow me on this. Here they are. <coughs> three things. It says here in verse 23, the three times you shall show up. That's context for this. Verse 24 says, now I'm going to cast out the nations before you. The first thing is God says, it's my job to, and I would like to offer you, it's my job to evict. That's our first word here. It's my job to evict. Now, who is he evicting? He's evicting the enemy. Interesting as that is. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death, and that he'll swallow up death forever. That's Isaiah 25, 6, by the way, that he promises that. Now, we did this, by the way, Initially, by the way, we read in Hebrews 2.14, he makes it clear when it says, Inasmuch as we experience or lived in flesh and partook in flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared of the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, and that is the devil. He destroyed the devil there at the cross. Now, interestingly enough, the way that he puts it is even more powerful to me than Isaiah 43 and 44. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I won't remember your sins. Isaiah 44, 22 says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. So return to me, because I've redeemed you. Peter seizes upon this, Peter and John, in Acts 3, after a man that is crippled has been now restored to a place of walking and dancing. And the people gather and he says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now, perhaps you're more familiar with the other terms or the other times when the term is used when it says, I'll blot out his name. So let me build on this for just a quick second to get you an idea of what the Lord has done already for you. If you've said yes to him, here's the idea. Your name again is Shanae's. Did I say it right? That's a beautiful name. Shanae's. Let's say Shanae's is born in Bethlehem. As Shanae's is born in Bethlehem, as a daughter, Shanae's is written in a registry there. The registry that's there says the day that she was born. It may give her birth weight and all those things today. In those days, it would just trace her back to the family. Whatever family that she was born into, then she becomes part of that family temporarily until she may get married off. When that happens, then she becomes a member of another person's family. But we can know where she was born. All we have to do is chase a particular book. That's called the book of life. That book of life is in every one of those cities that basically chases your family lineage. So if you had to go back to the place of your ancestry, you would know it by chasing this book of life. Does that make sense? We know that that book existed in Jesus's day. Does anyone know why we know that book existed in Jesus's day? 
because Mary and, and Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem because their lineage was of the lineage of David. Remember that? Because they chased the book of life in the book of in Bethlehem. And it was able to say that. Are you with me so far? So what we get then is she is, is actually she was born there. She was raised there. She lived there. She sort of enjoyed the family there. She enjoyed her neighborhood there. She enjoyed her community there. That's the idea. Are you with me so far? Dare, born in Galil. Not really, but let's just for the sake of this. Dare, born in Galil. Born and raised in Galil, worked in Galil, followed his family, you know, his family line. His dad is actually a mason, works with stones. So we would expect Dare to become then a mason, someone who works with stones as well. That's what we would expect. You could actually chase that line. And just from knowing anyone in that family, you could kind of go, oh, yeah, Dare, he's always from back in Galil, from Galilee region. We kind of know that. Are you with me so far? But what if Dare had a brother, Mara, Mare, so Dare and Mare. And Mare actually was a bad cat. And he did things so disgraceful and so ignoble that the very mention of his name would bring disgrace. What they would do is they would actually take him out and kill him or remove him from the community. He was never allowed to go back in again. And then the elders of the city would take a, like a sponge-like material and blot out his name in that book. It was as if he was never born. It was as if he never was raised, he never ate in that town, he never met anyone, he never knew anyone, he never made friends, he never went to school, he never had a meal with anyone, he never went out on a paper route, he never went out on a first date, none of that stuff exists anymore. As far as that's concerned, his name is blotted out, which means he was never there. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Until you get to those Isaiah texts. See, here's the deal is that God said to Marcia, Marcia, the moment you said yes to me, somebody lived inside of you. According to the book of Luke, it tells us, for instance, when Jesus says a spirit is driven from a house, and he uses a house, by the way, as a reference for a human being. You're a vessel in a house. Someone gets to live in here. And before you gave your life to Jesus, sin was the permanent occupant. Sin was. It lived there. It got its mail there. When it applied for a credit card and said permanent address, it put your name down. That was the idea. When it invited all its friends over, you were where it went. That was the idea. You were the permanent location for sin. Sin lived there. But the moment you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, he didn't just forgive your sin. He blotted it out. Do you get it? It is as if sin was never born in you. It was as if sin never thrived in you. Sin never grew in you. Sin never attached to anything in you. Sin never had any place in you. Now, here's the thing. Sin can still try to come and visit, but it ain't home anymore. Does that make sense? That's the beauty of who you are in Christ. And Jesus says, ultimately, the very same thing in this offer... As we get here, when God speaks and he says, what I want to do is evict. I will evict the enemy around you so that you can have a home. But God's already evicted that which once owned you inside. That's the beauty of it. So the first of the three things God would like to offer you is that it's his job to evict. You know, the dangerous thing is we can get so busy trying to evict sin from our lives. All we think about is sin. You know, it's like the guy that like writes no smoking, no smoking, no smoking on his arm, but he can't figure out why he always wants to smoke because the word smoking is all over his arm. You still see the word no, but it's like it's all you think about. 
It's strange when we want to leave the world behind us, staring at the world behind us tends not to make us feel very far from it, does it? But the Lord is so much better. But there's more than just evicting, by the way. Notice, and this is one we would really like, except once we get older, it's a little bit rougher. And that's, he says, and enlarge your borders. I'm fairly confident to tell you that a week when I return from Italy, my borders will have been enlarged. (laughs) They cover me in hugs, kisses, and pasta until until it's coming out of my nose. So. And of course, some people have even written books on from Second Chronicles, a man named Yabez, because he prayers, God, enlarge my borders. But here becomes one of the problems for which God promises in this. This is what he would like. Please hear me. The Lord is not going to give you everything at once. And one of the reasons is, well, he tells us, and we'll get there soon, But we had it in Exodus 23, but we'll see it reviewed in Deuteronomy 7. In Exodus 23, when God promises the land, and hear me now, verse 29, he says, I will not drive out from before you in one year these enemies, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. In Deuteronomy 7.22, reviewing, it says, And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you, little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. Listen to this last statement again. And will, not might, Think about it later. Sort of committal. This isn't God who has commitment issues. God is the ultimate committed. And will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. Now, please hear me. Please hear me. You give your life to Christ. You accept the gift of Jesus on the cross. (coughs) His resurrection three days later. He's now your Lord. It's a week into it, and you're like, why am I still struggling with sin? Shouldn't I be perfect by now? I mean, look at the pastor. He's perfect, right? No, he's not. You don't have to, you don't have to hang with me long to learn that one. I love, you know, it's like life verses when people say that. Is that First Corinthians 1 where it says he uses the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world to shame. It's like, see, I'm quite qualified. Anyways... <clears throat> But I want to be, I, I would, I'd love to be sinless. I mean, I'd love to be. In the sight of God, I am because all my sin has been covered in the blood of Christ. And I have no intent on continuing, to, continuing in the sin. It's not licensed to sin. It's caused to celebrate and to move from that to go and sin no more. But again, sin no longer lives here. Shame on me for those moments when I choose to welcome it. But it doesn't stay long. But God promised I'm going to give you it parcel by parcel. He says, here's your part. Walk with me. Walk the land and grow. As you grow, you'll be able to occupy the land because there'll be a purpose to give you the land. Right now, if I give you all that land, there's not enough of you to fill the land. He had actually promised the land from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the river Euphrates. Even in David and Solomon's days, they've never seen it that big. All the way down to the Red Sea all the way up to Lebanon, 
unbelievably large amount of area they've never seen before. Please hear me on this. Please hear me. God is not done with you. And he'd love to enlarge it. And by the way, if God gave you everything, you know, when you first said yes to him, uh, Angela, when did you give your life to Christ? What year? Dare you say it? 23 years ago. How many of you weren't born 23 years ago? Okay, look at that. Hands go up. I want you to know that Naomi and I are the same age. Naomi was born when I was reborn. So, If God did everything then, and I would come to Angela and say, what's the Lord doing today? All she could tell me about is what happened 23 years ago. Are you following me? But because God promises to enlarge and enlarge, and in a simple sense, I'm going to grow you. I can tell you what the Lord's doing today. Isn't that fantastic? It's fantastic when you look at it that way. It's not fantastic. We still struggle. But let me remind you, dead people don't struggle. Praise God we're alive. (laughs) And then he says this. So he promises that it's his job to evict. It's his job to enlarge. Neither will anyone covet your land when you go up, go up to appear before the Lord your God three times a year. And by the way, God kind of knows that men will pull this responsible trip on him. He just knows we play that with him. And, and let's face it, it sounds so reasonable, even though we call ourselves men of faith. It doesn't sound reasonable. The idea is, let's be honest, I can't leave my field for a week to go and have a barbecue with God at his house. I can't do that because people that are enemies around me are going to take my field. They'll steal my stuff. I mean, you know what's going to happen. There's that crazy neighbor a couple doors down. I know she's been eyeing my property. And there's those two kids, and they never talk to me, but they ride on bikes. And I know kids that ride on bikes are, what, really? But they ride at night in the dark. Yeah, okay. And so they're going to steal your big screen on their bike. Yeah, probably, right? Really? This is what God says. If you trust me to go there for the barbecue, can't you trust me to take care of your property when you're gone? God has a promise. That he's going to take care of you. Even in those times, he's like, look, if you're walking with me, whose job is it to protect you? You know, it's like, if God's like, look, you know what? I'm calling you, and you know it's him. He goes, I'm calling you to go and share at Brixton. I'm calling you to go share at Hackney. And you're like, oh, come on, really? That must be Satan who wants me to go share Jesus in Hackney. Yeah, right. Okay, well, back to reality. It's God's job to enclose you. To encircle you. Psalm 139 verse 5 says, You've hedged me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Proverbs 16:7 says, and listen to this crazy verse, When a man's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. How fun is that? And you know what? Have you ever had times where people like want to hate you, but they can't seem to? They try, and it's like, you know, and you just kind of, you want to go, ha, 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 which probably would give them a reason, because that probably doesn't please the Lord, right? Okay, let me close this up quickly. Let me close this up quickly with the three things God would like for us, okay? But let me ask you, quick quiz. It's God's job to evict the enemy. It's God's job to enlarge, and it's God's job to enclose you. Right, there we go. So what would God like for us to do in faith so that we can receive such a life? Verse, verse 25 You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Interesting, because God is constantly using leaven as an analogy for sin, for metaphor for sin. He'll say it in Matthew 16, 12, about the doctrine of the Pharisees. 
the Herodians. It says in, L- in Luke Ooh. chapter 12, okay. verse 1, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is Wow, hypocrisy. really? Can you believe that? In 1 Corinthians yeah, 5, by the way, yeah. it says in verse 8, be careful of the leaven of malice and wickedness. Message. And I get the idea. Well, the Here's the first thing. Can I say I stay clean? Right. Here now, listen. Stay now. clean. Stay clear on what you really, what God's promised to add the really, world now, into the Lord. And you know that's what's going to happen. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And you know what leaven is? It's yeast. All that is 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 something you put in and it makes things look bigger with emptiness because it decays. Listen to that again. It makes things look bigger through emptiness because it decays. And so, you know, you've got this little flat bread, but now it's a giant loaf because now there's all kinds of holes in it. And you can look so big, but you're full of holes. And you know what? For some people out there, that's what they think Christianity is. Their entire view of Christianity is a leavened Christianity. Stay clean. Second, nor shall the sacrifices of the feast of Passover be kept until morning. God doesn't want you to have leftovers for Passover. Can I say the second is stay current? Stay current. Because after all, God's like, let the Passover on Tuesday be the Passover on Tuesday. Let the Passover on Wednesday be the Passover on Wednesday. Don't try to make God's walk that was good for you yesterday be God's walk for you today. There's a better walk for you today. We should be on a trajectory of improvement, shouldn't we? And that's why if you're kind of in a place where you feel like, I'm not doing that well, I wish I could go back, I don't always pray that. Matter of fact, I never pray that. I feel like, oh, if I could just go back to where I was a year ago. I got like, But a year ago couldn't have been so great because it left you where you are today. My prayer is you would have a walk so much better that you would never find yourself in the place where you're at today again. So look at Stay current. Lord, what do you have for me today? Because the problem is when something really great happens and it's miraculous, a miracle can become a milestone, which could become a monument, which could become a memorial. Because what's happening now, it's like, you know, and we get this, especially in areas like baptizing the spirit. By the way, baptism is a state, according to, by the way, doctrinally, scripturally, it's a state. The word baptizo is a state to immerse. It was used of making pickles. It's used in a recipe because once that cucumber, once that courgette is in the vinegar, it's immersed. The Titanic is still being baptized because it's still down. The moment you pull it up, it's no longer baptized. But we make an event out of it. And I love that when people go, I was baptized in the spirit. 1976, I was baptized in the spirit. Where are you at today? Ah, sleeping with my girlfriend. I'm drunk and running from the police. Well, how about today? I'm not going to be impressed with what happened to you 30, 40 years ago. The Lord is the Lord of today. And he's got beautiful things for you today to unwrap. If the last gift you opened was six Christmases ago, you've been robbing yourself. The Lord wants you to stay current. Because how in the world are you going to enjoy the Lord closing you in, covering you? If you're still busy looking back. How are you going to enjoy the Lord evicting the enemy and growing you if you're so busy in the back? Does that make sense? Last one. Verse 26. The first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Anyone have young goat in mother's milk curry? No, they don't serve it. Praise the Lord for that. Um, I would have eaten it before I read this. <coughs> 
And then he says, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. Now, get the idea. There's a couple of things in this. One in regards to the offering of the first fruits, because the idea is, is that I want you, hey, the, the moment I start blessing you, I want you to always remember that it's me. I always want you to remember that it's me. And fruitfulness is always about me. And that takes me right to John 15. It's like, you look at, and I love that Jesus built on it. He starts by saying, look at, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can't bear fruit on yourself. It's like, I want to be fruitful. You can't squeeze out fruit. It just doesn't happen. I mean, that would be, you know, imagine that's, you know, and you get that. It's like a husband and wife. They've been married and she wants kids. So she's just going to go, I want kids. Well, it's not going to work. I, I, somebody needs to talk to you. Your parents should have when you were younger. Well, you know, it's like it takes, I mean, I don't want to get gross. We're adults, but you get the idea. There's, there's a, it takes two to bear four fruit. And yet we want to be fruitful for Christ, but we don't think that it takes two. We want to give fruit to God. Like, look at what I did on my own. God's like, that's really weird. I don't even want to think about how you thought you made this happen. You know, think about that. And the last is, please hear me, is stay close. But he not only says you can't bear any fruit without me. Then in the next verse, he says, you can't even do anything without me. This is without me, you can do nothing. So you're like, and this is the danger of trying to present things to God or for God. Like, God, look what I did for you. God doesn't want us to do anything for him. He wants us to do everything with him. Because how could you possibly do anything for God when he gave you the power to do it in the first place? You're like, check out what I did for you, God. And you're like, God's like, you didn't do that for me. I gave you the power to do that. No wonder why he says our righteousness is but filthy rags, dirty menstrual cloths in his sight. Imagine going, here are some dirty menstrual cloths. God, wow, check me out. That makes me righteous. You can see God going, does this look, does this look okay to you? Is this weird? You always see God looking at the angels going, did, uh, did, don't they read the Bible or what? <laughs> I'm good. God's going to let me into heaven. How come? Well, I'll tell you what. This is what I don't do. This is what I don't do. This is what I don't do. I'm like, yeah, but how does that make you good? That just makes you not bad or not as bad. Well, check it out, God. Here's some dirty measure costs because I don't kick nuns and I don't slap puppies and I haven't choked anyone in a, in a week, you know, and. Really? Congratulations. God's like, oh, well, all the sort of good people could go to that part of heaven. I don't want to go to that part of heaven, would you? What's that? like the bad neighborhood of heaven. There is no bad neighborhood in heaven. All sin doesn't exist in heaven. So please hear me as we go to prayer. The Lord would love to evict out of our lives any complete domain of the enemy. That's his job. And he does that. And he would love to enlarge. And he would love to enlarge. And we're not just talking about you need a new belt. He would love to enlarge your influence, enlarge your fruitfulness. He would love that. But here's the danger is is as I grow, well, wait a minute, that means now I'm going to be out in places that could be a little scarier. Yeah, but God's like, but it's my job to enclose you too. But if I'm going to enclose you, stay close. Get it? If I'm going to, excuse me. If I'm going to enlarge you, stay current. That only makes sense to me. And if I'm going to evict, stay clean. Imagine God kicks him out and you invite him back in. What a weird relationship is that? But hasn't that happened? If you're, if you're honest, I can tell you honestly, that's been my life at times. Where the Lord has kicked things out of my life that I even know were bad. And then somehow within the week, I invited back into my life. And God's like, I kicked that thing out at your request. I'm like, yeah, but I missed it. 
God's like, okay, can I kick it out again now? Yes, Lord, please. But if I'm going to stay close, it starts with this. My sin, according to Isaiah, has separated me from God. There's a wall. There's a wall there between me and the Lord. And that wall is my guilt. But God so loved me that he sent Jesus to not just break down the wall, but to be the price paid for my sin. Jesus became the price and the wrecking ball. And with that, he died on the cross so that all my sins could be properly punished and rose again three days later to be become the Lord of my life, for which then he becomes the one that has the right to evict anything from me, to enlarge me any way that he wants to, and then encircle me. And with that, you know what? How could I not want to crawl into his arms and say, yes, Lord, my life is yours. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, you don't become a Christian walking into a church just as much as you don't become a car walking into a, a garage. I mean, it just doesn't happen. You don't become a hamburger walking into a McDonald's. You become a Christian by accepting the gift of Jesus Christ. You don't become married just because you hold a girl or a guy's hand. Somewhere down the line, you've got to say, I do. My challenge is, have you said, I do, to the Lord? If you haven't, I'm going to give you that opportunity. If you have... My challenge today is let's get excited about what he's doing and say, oh, Lord, evict, enlarge, encircle. I just want to stay close. I want to stay clean. God, I want to, I want to stay current with you. Oh, God, please make me everything you intend. Lord, right now in this room, you wouldn't offer a message like this and draw us without knowing that there are people in this room. Maybe we're distancing ourselves right now instead of drawing close. Maybe right now we're still building on things you've done versus staying current. We're trying to coast off of a good thing that happened before and not what you want to do today. Oh, Lord, please make us current. Lord, you wouldn't cause a message like this to be spoken without people, someone or some people here, that maybe right now we're allowing pollution back into a pure well that you've dug with yourself. With the world and with apathy and indifference, with worldliness, sin. So Lord, purify those streams right now. Completely eradicate Completely extradite, completely remove, Lord, from us any and all pollution into our souls. That we wouldn't look and say, well, this guy thinks he's an expert, but your word says opposite inside with anyone. Your word is truth. And Jesus, I just want to thank you for making clear that these very same offers are offered to us today. You've nailed the handwriting of requirements to the cross. Father, you said you made him who had no sin to be sin, that he, we might become the righteousness of you in him. So right now, while our hearts are open, show us if there's anything interfering with us staying close. Show us if there's anything interfering with us staying current. Show us if there's anything, Lord, that is interfering with us staying clean. 
And thank you for your offer to evict. We say yes. Thank you for your offer to enlarge. We say yes. Thank you for your offer to enclose. We say yes. And that means you may enclose us from sins that we might want to go after, but continue to hedge us so that we don't get to them. That our hearts would be cleansed and that we would crave only the use we should. And right now in this room, if there be any who have yet to say yes to you, and you know who they are if there are any, show them their need right now. And if you're not sure if you've ever said yes, or you're sure you haven't, you can walk out of here confident that you're his. I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen so you know what you're getting yourself into. And if you agree at the end of it all, I ask you to give a confident, resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I'm a sinner. I won't lie to you. I'm guilty because of my sins. And you as a righteous judge have the right to punish all sin. But I believe you died on the cross so that all my sins could be punished. I believe you rose from the dead so that I can have a risen Lord and a relationship with you and become a new creation. So I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior and my ransom. I surrender myself to you in your will now. May I become your masterpiece like you intend. And may I please you with the one thing you, you want from me, my surrender. So here I am. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Thank you, friends. Thank you for the privilege today, the honor of being able to open the word with you. I would go forever just because I don't want this to end. But thank you. Thank you for the honor of your attention. And thank you for three wonderful years of being able to serve you as pastor. I can hardly wait for the rest of my life. So um, let's stand and uh, we'll sing one last song. And then um, we'll get you out of here. And I know we're running late. So if you need to bail, I totally understand. I, I recognize that. But let's uh, let's take one last song and we'll close this out.